0: Hello, and welcome to Voices in Innovation from GigaOM. I'm your host, Johnny Baltisberger. Today, we have a really special episode. I am joined by not one, not two, but three analysts. We have Enrico Signoretti, Jason Collier, and Matt Lieb. Guys, how are you doing today? Doing I'm
1: well. <laughs> Always good to be
0: here, I'm Johnny. fine
1: too, thanks. Thanks for asking
0: <laughs> Good. It's We're already off to a great start of uh, talking over each other and organized chaos. Um, guys, it is top of the year, 2021, and we're already playing catch-up. Specifically, I've brought you together today because uh, in December, Intel had an event, and I specifically wanted to kind of address one topic of that event, persistent memory. So uh, to get started, as we always get started, uh, please someone, Enrico, explain to me what is persistent memory?
2: Well, I, I try to keep it short and, you know, uh, um, one story short, it's something that is in between traditional memory, so RAM, okay? Which is not persistent when we, when you, Switch off your computer, you lose all the data in the memory. Okay, and flash memory, which is uh, uh, a persistent uh, media, but uh, it's it's slower than than RAM. So this is perfectly fits in the middle. I mean, it, it's not as fast as memory, but way faster than flash memory, and it's persistent. And also the pricing in some somehow in uh, between the two. So it just, uh, you know, uh, completes the, um, the spectrum of all the uh, options that we have uh, in the market. And uh, particularly for Intel, this uh, device has uh, two uh, modalities. It can work as memory. So as an extension of your computer memory or as a, persistent storage device. so it's a very very fascinating uh, technology.
0: So Jason I'm going to ask you to to break something down for me specifically in in this case, what is the difference between memory and storage? why are why are we separating those two terms?
3: Yeah, and um, yeah, I think one of the the important things to remember about uh, PMEM as well, the persistent memory, is that uh, PMEM itself plugs into like a memory socket, so it plugs into a DIMM slot. So unlike you know storage, which could be you know tied into any type of you know bus, be it like you know SATA SAS controllers, you got uh, uh, you know NVMe. Uh, uh, types of of addressing M2 slots that you can plug into. So the PMEM itself plugs directly into that. And so, you know, traditionally, like the the memory has been uh, basically in in a volatile state. You reboot your computer, it's basically the RAM and stuff that's in your computer, but you're able to use those same DIMM slots in these uh, servers now where you can actually address much more space. I mean, typically, you know dim sizes range I, I don't even know how big we're going these days on dims, but I think the the biggest like the pMEMS that Intel's putting out are, are something around like like five uh, uh, like 512 is it is it 512 Enrico gig or yeah. something like that?
2: yeah, they' are pretty huge. I mean you can have uh, terabytes of memory in the end uh, in a single computer.
3: yeah and the very interesting thing about basically these uh, these PMem. Uh, uh, systems is they can run in a mode where they can be accessed just like RAM, or they can be accessed uh, like a storage device. And they have several different modes. They've got basically a memory mode and an app direct mode. And in that memory mode, the PMM acts uh, kind of like a volatile memory. So, I mean, if you reboot it, you know basically it 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 goes off and you lose all that uh, data that's in it, so not really good for the persistent storage piece. But in that app direct mode, there's a lot of different ways that that you can utilize it, and then they've also got a mix mode that you can run those in. Um, as well, where a percentage of the capacity can be used in memory mode, and then it can also be used in the app direct mode as well. So there's there's a lot of different ways in which you can use it, but yeah, I mean, you can use it as a really fast uh, block storage device. And I think Intel really kind of sees this as a tier Uh, you know, kind of inserting a third tier so where you had memory and storage. Now you've got kind of memory. Here's one that's like, you know, not quite uh, as fast as memory, but not as slow as the storage. So it's kind of this additional tier you can use for the applications that you develop.
0: Interesting. And uh, Matt, we'll go to you next. Why? Why do we need this hybrid thing? Uh, Why do we need something that can do both? Why do we need something that is slower versus faster, what, what makes this important, I guess, is my question.
1: There's uh, some really key areas why, why it's important. One of them surely is, um, and this is, uh, I think for the layman, probably one of the most important categories. Uh, when you've got a lot of persistent memory sitting in RAM or sitting in what was traditionally RAM, <clears throat> the reboot times of, of a server Uh, Are lessened quite a bit because you don't have to load up all that information back into RAM uh, in order to run the application itself. Uh, But I think there's a lot more to it, right? Um, One of the key categories or one of the key components of this is we are now capable of loading far, far, far more into the the category of, of RAM. Or what has traditionally been called RAM, uh, because the the 3D memory is far far greater, right? So if we can put five terabytes of RAM in one 80s, x86 server, then, for example, we can essentially load up an entire Cassandra database, or uh, or or that. Um, category of of large data set program into what is uh, directly accessible by the processor Uh, so that calls back to storage 3d or not are far lessened Uh, another uh, piece of that is that uh, these particularly again in databases these databases don't have to be fragmented or, or what database developers call sharded uh, nearly as much. So you can actually have fewer processors or fewer discrete x86 servers handling much larger data sets because you don't have to break that database into discrete components across x86 components within the data center. You can have a a large database sitting on, on fewer boxes. I think that's really important. Um, but, but one thing that I talked about, and this is really important, is that most of this new category, the Intel Optane class category is 3D memory. And, and 3D memory gives it, uh, it's, it's sort of a new approach towards how that data is stored in silicon, uh, giving it more what we would look at in the old days as cells. So uh, the future we don't know yet, but the amount of size that we can dedicate to storage, to memory, um, et cetera, is going to be far, far greater moving forward. Um, You know, the largest SSD, traditional SSDs today are uh, four terabytes, 3.8 X terabytes, something like that, 7.2, but under Optane, we're, we're looking at, 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 pure storage at virtually unknown sizes, uh, and potentially in a three and a half inch form fa- or two and a half inch form factor. It's, uh, it's going to be very interesting to see where this goes.
0: You know, <clears throat> when I first sat down with my very first PC in college, I felt very cool because I had, I want to say, uh, 512 megabytes as a hard drive. And uh, I wanna say something like two gigs of RAM. So I was very excited about how incredibly fast and, and powerful my computer was. Uh, and then yesterday I ordered a one terabyte flash drive for 30, like pocket change. <laughs> uh, the evolution of what we're capable of is kind of astounding in my opinion. But when I talk about that, I'm talking about from a consumer level. What is the adoption rate in the field for enterprises with uh, persistent memory? Enrico?
2: Well, we are still at the beginning. I mean, we, we are talking about the new media, and we are talking about new application in the end. Uh, uh, so you can consume this new type of uh, memory in, in several ways. As Matt pointed out, you can have it in the, sim- in the dim for factor, or you can have it as a traditional, uh, uh, more traditional flash drive form factor, or even in a in a new fancy form factor that are, are uh, you know like long rulers that fit in the in the um, in a server. Okay. So and uh, and there are several applications for them. Also, you know, many applications are not really to take advantage full advantage of this type of memory. Talk about you know. Uh, First uh, adopters, and you can have a, a lot of uh, adoption in big data AI. So they, these guys need a lot of memory to have data close to the CPU, so to reduce latency as much as they can, and uh, to feed GPUs, for example, things like that. So this is the first application. In medium long term, of course, as I said, this is uh, closes a gap between memory. And, uh, and flash memory. And uh, you, we will see more and more application. There are some nice uh, application, for example, uh, last year SAP announced uh, a specific application for uh, SAP ANA, which is their in-memory database. So they can extend their in-memory database because they know that they are dealing with this kind of memory and they can take advantage of it. So it's uh, in, the, in its persistent state, as Matt pointed out, earlier and so they can juggle a few things so take advantage of the additional memory but also taking advantage of a persistent memory which is pretty fast without having to go out of the system and you know increase latency and in the longer term uh, you know we will see this adopted in many other use cases the the more will will be uh, available as a standard component the more uh, cases will come out I'm pretty sure about that.
0: Thank you. So uh, let's get a go deeper into use cases. Uh, Enrico, you mentioned AI specifically and uh, and a few other verticals within the tech industry. Jason, who do you see clambering for this technology? who do you think are going to be the first people to really latch on and see great dividends from it?
3: Well, clear. It, you know, in, any type of application that uh, requires high IOPS. I mean, that's that's one of the keys, uh, and why SSD technology versus you know any type of like traditional spinning spinning media itself uh, has been you know a big push. And then when you compare you know Optane to the speed of uh, you know kind of SSDs tethered with uh, you know more traditional technologies, and and then you know once you get into the whole PMEM component, the the reality is. Um, you're simplifying the path to the CPU. So anything that requires exceptionally low uh, low latency and low uh, IOPS and really the latency is kind of the key and that's where Optane, you know, we've seen some incredible uh, uh, benchmarks on the reduction in latency where we used to measure, you know, storage in, in uh, milliseconds. Now we're talking down to, to microseconds and even nanoseconds on being able to, to go in and, uh, you know, kind of access uh, this type of data with that. So clearly any of the applications, AI, I remember when we were building, uh, you know, one of the companies that I did in the past, we were using neural networks to predict whether or not, you know, an email was, was spam or not. And, uh, I remember when we were, uh, you know, building out those neural nets, small in today's fashion, uh, but we had, you know, clusters and clusters of machines that would sit there and run through these training sets. And, you know, honestly, it'd take forever, you know, to, to, to come up with a solution. And nowadays with so much processing power, in uh, the CPUs the GPUs getting that that memory uh, uh, gap and the storage gap the amount of data that you can cram in there is so much more and so much faster and and that latency gets to, down to those uh, real-time AI, uh, Uh, components which it you know gets it into a very interesting state i was just watching terminator 2 with my kid last night i'm just like yeah there's neural net cpus that they're starting to produce yeah we're kind of we're 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 starting to get where that's something that's uh that's getting closer to uh closer to reality um and one of the things yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah, like (laughs) like skynet is coming Uh, (laughs) the uh um enrico one of the things you mentioned too uh though that that i think is is a is a big component in, you know, where we are and where the adoption is today. We're still very, very early on. Uh, the applications need to be written to take advantage of this. It's not like something where you're just going to, you know, throw, uh, throw a standard, you know, application on top of it and expect it to perform at at optimum. Um, it really needs to be written to take, take uh, you know, uh, consideration of that app direct mode. I mean, like, all, all of these apps need to be written with that in mind. And there's, there's actually an entire, um, if you go to like PMM.io, it's basically the, you know, an entire programming guide and glossary around how do you, you know, write an application for persistent memory. Um, and things, you know, we're still in, it's still in its infancy, but you know, it's definitely, uh, uh, it's kind of on the forefront of, of where things are headed. And, you know, it's always, always, the reason they call it the bleeding edge is because it hurts, right? Uh, <laughs> so uh, it's, uh, it's gonna be interesting to see how it evolves over the next uh, next year or two. Yeah,
2: and if I can add something to, to this is, you know, one of the uh, you know, applications that we see today is uh, uh, in the storage systems. I mean, we can not see it from the outside I mean, we don't uh, use this memory in our computer, but the storage system use it as a cache, for example, or, or as a staging area because it's very fast. So you you can remove some uh, uh, proprietary components like NVDIMs and things like that, use commodity components, and uh, and build on top of it your you know uh, next generation storage. Vast Data is an example, for example, they have these two layer storage where they have uh, Intel Optane as the first layer. So everything lands in the in the Intel Optane and then they do all the fancy magic that they have on their system. And the backend is uh, QLC memory. I mean, even consumer grade QLC memory, which is very inexpensive. So they can take advantage of, you know, the performance and the stability of this uh, component to use uh, uh, commodity uh, flash memory on uh, on the end, And if you look at their system, they can get, you know, high performance as well as, uh, you know, capacity because they can, uh, you know, get the best of the two worlds.
0: Um, Jason, you mentioned Terminator and Skynet, jokingly, obviously. But, you know, uh, on a more serious note, entertainment drives a lot of technology. Uh, video games... Uh, Hollywood really do drive a ton of advancement in where things tend to go.
3: A cool entertainment example is the volume that was used to shoot The Mandalorian. Uh, And that's just, I don't know, that's super cool uh, utilization of direct real-time gaming engines where all those backgrounds are rendered in real-time and filmed in real-time.
0: Yes, that is cool. So obviously, we have some very obvious players in the field that are going to be using this. Matt, is there anyone who you think is going to be kind of a surprise use case Uh, industries or verticals that we wouldn't normally associate with needing a ton of memory or a ton of storage uh, that you think will be adopting this sooner rather than later?
1: Well, uh, you know, that's, I, I don't necessarily have a crystal ball, but I can see benefit to a lot of uh, industries that maybe aren't um, exploiting it so much yet. Uh, biomedical engineering is, is, a, is a huge one. Um, uh, we, we look at things like, um, I don't know if anybody's worked on PAC systems before, but uh, these are large, large images that are Transmitted from say your uh, your orthopedic surgeon is is vacationing in Thailand but wants to see your latest scans. Well, well, sure that we've got latencies due to the internet in general, but but once that lands there and those images are are massive, um, your ability to access them uh, it, as as large components. I think is, uh, is one. Uh, surely the financial markets, the, the trading industry, um, which is, you know, it's all about uh, how fast you can get at that data and how fast you can respond to it. So, so certainly, um, uh, you know, here's what we're getting at. And, and I think this is, is probably the biggest thing, right? Uh, you know, Jason was talking about large video Um, If you're working on a network and your connection is is rapid, um, the ability to load up those large images is is mission critical. But but let's talk about when you you add the additional latency of network uh, or or distance um, because we haven't solved physics yet. Um, there There are many areas that need to be resolved I'm thinking of a of a solution that that Pure came up with recently. With uh, and I and I go back to databases because it's the, the single easiest to grasp, I think. Um, uh, constant. Uh, they were saying that you know your your large databases have have an issue, right? What they've done is they've put um, on their their um, their flash storage infrastructure. They have leveraged Optane as a, as a cache mechanism in between the storage array and the x86 side so that you've got a, a large Optane-based cache layer that will give you, uh, reduce your microseconds uh, in at least half between where the database needs access to the data and the storage since. Uh, and I, I find that to be a very interesting component. But I, I think that there are so many categories. Surely the early adoption of, uh, of video production and video gaming is, is going to be a lot of that. And, and, and our historic um, way of addressing it is faster and faster disk, right? Put more spindles in, you get more IOPS, you put more solid state in, you get more IOPS, But then you had to put in faster solid state to get more IOPS. Well, nowadays they're addressing it in, in more categories, right? They're, they're, they're putting in buffers between the storage array and the storage interconnect, uh, and then the processor. And, and then PMEM, while it is slower than historic RAM, um, allows you to put more of that actual data in a persistent basis, closer to the processor. So we've reduced the, the calls to the data itself. Um, I, I think that the, I, you know, forgive me for, for keeping on saying this, but we have yet to see where this tip of the iceberg is gonna hit us. Uh, and it's, it's the creative thinkers in the infrastructure side uh, who are designing these architectures. I think, uh, you know, again, not to bring up another brand, but I'm going to bring up another brand. Enrico talked about, um, about how uh, different companies are, are addressing some of these issues. And I look at Memverge as a, as a perfect example of how things are being, um, being looked at uh, in terms of how that uh, actually, direct memory API set is being handled, and that API will handle a a large set of how that memory is divided up between persistent memory, uh, and and storage. Uh, and that API, uh, I know Intel has one, but I I think what Membridge has created is is really cool.
2: Yeah, and I think that if we think about uh you know, the fact that now we have, uh, uh, we are uh, really at, at, a, uh, at the beginning of a new year. I mean, in the past, we, we had not only slow storage, but also slow protocols. I mean, the, the protocols had a lot on top of of the storage in terms of latency. It was not a big problem because the storage was so slow that adding, uh, you know, uh, a few additional uh, CPU cycle to manage the protocol was a problem. Now with VME everything changes. So the storage is no longer the bottleneck. And actually with new storage, with this new storage protocol like NVMe, but actually even more with NVMe over fabric and uh, converged ethernet and all the stuff that we have now, we can have, we can rethink the data data server, the data center in a totally different way. I mean, uh, accessing remotely resources like uh, persistent memory uh, on other uh, parts of the network at a very low latency changes the way we can think about uh, architectures in the data center. We are not there yet, but actually composability, even if the term composability is not always uh, positive at the moment, I mean, there are so many uh, definitions or so many marketing uh, efforts to to you know to, to bring uh, composability on on, on on a story or the other so it's very complicated but but actually if we think about having the separate components, the discrete components and a built together system uh, thanks to these components that are really fast and can be accessed very quickly th- that could change you know in a matter of years how we think about uh, the data center. So it's a very interesting set of use cases that are not even explored yet. Yeah, the uh, Enrico, you bring up something
3: really good too. And, and it actually, it's in, in reference to one of my favorite RFCs, like RFC 1925, the 12 networking truce. Uh, in it. Truth number 12 is in protocol design, perfection hasn't been reached when there's nothing left to add, but when there's nothing left to take away. Uh, and one of the interesting things uh, about this is the hardware has gotten faster. It's interesting. The, the bottleneck is actually starting to move to the software when the hardware is fast enough that you're pr- processing stuff in microseconds. Like you said, the storage system used to be able to hide the inefficiency in the code. And now the code inefficiencies are the things that are actually, actually popping out. And uh another uh, good uh, RFC 1925 is truth number 11, that this kind of goes along with what you're talking about, about just industry definitions. And that's every old idea is going to be proposed again with a different name and a different presentation, regardless of whether or not it ever worked. So <laughs> good, good, wise wisdom. That was uh, written by Ross Callen when he was at deck back in 1996.
0: <laughs> now, Usually on Voices of Innovation, we try to uh, curtail any talk of vendors, specific vendors, uh, because we really want this to be a very neutral place to talk about where technology is heading, the trends, uh, things that everyone needs to know. Uh, However, as this conversation has come out of an Intel event, I think it'd be kind of uh, apropos to discuss who the players in this market are uh, as well as maybe who they're partnering with and, and how this is kind of coming to the forefront now. Uh, Enrico, if you'll start us off.
2: Well, the the, the, um, the answer to this is easy. I mean, at the moment, Intel Optane is the only product that can do what we described in, in this area. Maybe there will be other players in the future, but at the moment, uh, Intel is, uh, is leading on this. Uh, Intel is partnering with everybody i mean we mentioned uh four or five companies so all storage vendors are adopting in a way or the other this technology many uh software vendors are also evaluating this technology to speed up their their, their system including you know pr- traditional vendors like oracle they are they are uh, um, uh, using uh it on their uh, uh X data system which is a you know a specific uh, um, implementation of their uh, their uh, uh, database that includes the the database and all the software stack needed to run the database and also the hardware so in the end uh, uh, in this appliance this technology is already available but uh, but it's also interesting that you know i don't know if this is a showcase or or whatever but they are also uh somehow parting with themselves i mean they, they built a, a new uh, object store called dals which uh, which is based on uh, on this technology i think part of it is you know the the will to show uh the capabilities of this technology so to force others uh, to to implement similar solutions but but also it's uh you know it gives the idea that you know there is not only a, an hardware component not anymore so it's always software plus hardware and uh, and maybe intel's w- one wants to show this or explain this in their way i don't know i mean uh, daos is uh, an incredible piece of software i mean from the performance point of view maybe it's not mature enough but uh, but from the personal point of view and the benchmark they publish, it's incredibly uh, fast for an object store. So uh, I mean they they are uh, they are working with several partners and also uh, trying to you know put this uh, all together with uh, with some uh, showcases. Yeah, and then. Uh... To
3: kind of add on to that, Enrico, I mean, I think one of the very interesting things about what Intel's done with Optane in general is it's it's allowed the ability for a lot of startups to actually kind of piggyback on that Optane technology, uh, you know, and come up with really creative solutions. You know, we've seen that. We mentioned basically, uh, you know, kind of both Vast and Memverge as as being companies that are, that are doing just that. And I think that's you know that's the the tip of the iceberg right now. I think we're going to see a lot of new new and exciting uh, kind of companies and startups come out of uh, finding you know critical uses for for this type of technology and really what it's doing it's it's enabling that partner ecosystem to create very compelling solutions.
0: I think it's interesting to see how. Uh especially when we're dealing with a new technology, you know, it's uh, it's almost a snowball effect. We start with a company, a couple of companies, and then uh, fairly quickly it snowballs until it's industry standard. I assume we'll be seeing a, a key criteria on persistent memory before too long, uh, followed by a, uh, a radar report, which will just have a few vendors and then Next year, it'll be updated with twice that many, and so on and so forth, as as it snowballs out of control into the industry standard. Um, uh, you can't see—we're on a video chat right now. You can't see the fear in Enrico's eyes as he remember, as he realizes that he'll be responsible for that uh, those reports. Um, let's let's kind of wrap it up. Uh, just from each of you, I want to ask: What is the future here? What is the uh, 12-month 24-month forecast for uh this technology the adoption of and the way it affects the industry
2: yeah i think that you know we with the announcement that uh intel did last month uh we we saw the second generation of uh of this uh dims i mean nothing changed from the, the the physical device itself but uh uh, they, they, you know, clearly uh, improved a lot of aspects. And uh, and as you said, the snowball effect will start to, uh, to show off very, very quickly. We will have uh, more vendors adopting it. We will have uh, uh, more software uh, taking advantage of this technology directly without needing, uh, uh, you know, external... Uh, uh, access to, to this uh, uh, storage caches or things like that. Uh, and, uh, and I think in the long term, we will see more and more in-memory applications because, you know, we are just uh, in the need of this kind of uh, larger memory and the cost of RAM is always too high. I mean, RAM technology didn't change. And so the, the, uh, probably... I'm not an expert on how they, they build RAM, but actually uh, I don't have any news about a new process or new anything. I mean, the cost of uh, memory is still high, will remain high, and it's um, one of the most expensive components of uh, every server now. So having this, uh, this component that can uh, extend the memory, because you can't avoid to have RAM anyway in the way that System memory works, but actually extend the memory and make it bigger. It will be beneficial for you know everybody, even VMware in the medium long term. So, or uh, other workloads like uh, uh, Kubernetes and others. So it's. I think that uh, it will become more and more common component in all the servers. Interesting, uh, Enrico, that you you mentioned
3: extended memory and and I flash back to my DOS days and auto exec bats and config sys. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, um, you know, I think there's definitely going to be some interesting things happening over the next couple of years. Two things that I think uh, this technology is going to push is, as Matt mentioned uh, before, about getting more, 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 uh, uh, processing to happen, you know, near where the data is located. I think you're gonna see see this start to to, uh, be pervasive in its movement toward edge compute uh, components as well, where you're gonna be able to, you know, run high data processing rates you know out at you know kind of remote sites i think that's going to be in, that that's going to be an interesting aspect where this technology uh, can be utilized and you know kind of in the next you know 18 24 months that's that's probably a move you're going to see uh, also and an interesting prediction that intel gave in this presentation as well was ssd's closing the gap on hard drives for the the cost perspective and they're predicting and i think this is still a little bit aggressive but they're predicting in 2022 that basically kind of the cost per terabyte is going to hit where SSDs and, and, and HDDs are going to be the same, uh, kind of price per, uh, price per terabyte. Uh, so if, if that ends up hitting, that's going to do nothing but kind of drive more, uh, adoption of that SSD style technology and make that tiering even more, more critical. So it will be interesting. And that's the, they're predicting that, uh, you know, kind of, uh, even a year out from now. Um, like I said, I think it seems a little bit aggressive, but um, it, it'll be interesting to see how that uh, uh, affects the innovations as well.
1: It's interesting, Jason, that you should say that price per terabyte figure <clears throat> because um, there are people that would argue that from a, from a functionality standpoint, um, it, it, we've already crossed that threshold because of uh, rebuild times and redundancies necessary for number of spindles versus, um, yeah, well, we don't use spindles anymore. So uh, let's call it cells. Um, in that your traditional uh, price per IOP type number is gonna, is gonna come far more or, or has already become far more parity based. Uh, and, and I like to think of it that way, right? In the old days, we had to add more disks in order to get more IO. Um, we don't have to do that anymore, right? Uh, we just need to be able to rebuild our disks in, in rapid enough timeframe, uh, which SSD solved uh, quite a bit of time ago. I think another thing, of course, that we're gonna see uh, besides the uh, additional vendors in the space, and, and we definitely will be, uh, seeing that as, as people sort of take advantage of the, um, of the already existing tool sets that exist uh, is the, the very obvious um, expansion of the hardware in the space, right? Um, Intel is, is actually not the only player in 3D memory. They're just the one that's most known. Um, and, uh, I, you know, there are other companies out there, I, I think specifically of, of DDN, that has their own 3D um, memory uh, environment. The question is, is that environment going to be able to take advantage of the same types of APIs and, and the, the uh, software ecosystem that already surrounds Intel? Um, and uh, if, if so, great. If, if not, maybe new, uh, new APIs that are able to achieve new things. Hard to know because I don't have my finger on everybody's pulse. But, but I think certainly we're going to see larger, uh, larger, faster, and potentially even less expensive uh, solutions come to the market, which can only be good for uh, for all the, the full-fledged uh, of the ecosystem. Certainly, uh, I think VMware taking advantage of this, uh, Microsoft taking advantage of this, and, and KVM, uh, the ability to load the entire VM into memory uh, or multiple VMs that are, that are high uh, transaction rate type VMs uh, is, is something that you already see taking place but as, as the hardware side moves forward, we're going to see uh, even more of this, and, and that can only be good, uh, especially as we move towards multi-cloud. Um, and uh, hybrid is one thing, but multi is a very different thing. And um, I, I'd like to see uh, I'd like to see integration of these kinds of components into switch here, for example. I'd like, you know, we're talking about when accelerating type technology I, I think a larger cast volume and persistent uh, plays a huge role in that uh, could be a, a very big play for where uh, persistent memory takes place um, so there there are categories that I, I think have yet to be exploited that are probably being uh, experimented on in you know in the deep recesses of, of the Cisco's, of the world. Uh, and, and certainly there are there are plays for 5G and how this will take advantage in a 5G world.
0: Fascinating discussion. I do want to thank all of you for joining me today, Enrico, Jason, Matt. As always, we strive to bring you uh, technology news and future forward advice. And if you are a fan of future forward advice in the IT industry, you should probably head over to gigaohm.com where you can find all of our blogs, our reports, and of course, this podcast and other podcasts that we have recorded in the past with various analysts. Really, again, for all your future forward advice, please go to gigaohm.com. For Gigaohm, I'm Johnny Baldisberger, and this has been Voices in Innovation. Just listen.